0: Book One, Chapters One, Two, and Three of the Fatal Three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Celine Major. The Fatal Three by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Book the First Clotho, or Spinning the Thread. Chapter One We Have Been So Happy i am afraid she will be a terrible bore said the lady with a slight pettishness in the tone of a voice that was naturally sweet how can she bore us love she is only a child and you can do what you like with her said the gentleman my dear john you have just admitted that she is between thirteen and fourteen a great deal more than a child a great overgrown girl who will want to be taken about in the carriage and to come down to the drawing-room and who will be always in the way Had she been a child of Mildred's age and a playfellow for Mildred, I should not have objected half so much. I am very sorry you object, but I have no doubt she will be a playfellow for Mildred all the same, and that she will not mind spending a good deal of her life in the schoolroom. Evidently, John, you don't know what girls of fourteen are. I do. Naturally, Maude, since it is not so many years since you yourself were that age the lady smiled touched ever so slightly by the suggestion of youth which was gratifying to the mother of a seven-year-old daughter the scene was a large old-fashioned drawing-room in an old-fashioned street in the very best quarter of the town bounded on the west by park lane and on the east by grosvenor square the lady was sitting at her own particular table in her favourite window in the summer gloaming the gentleman was standing with his back to the velvet-draped mantelpiece The room was full of flowers and prettiness of every kind and offered unmistakable evidence of artistic taste and large means in its possessors the lady was young and fair a tall slip of a woman who afforded a court milliner the very best possible scaffolding for expensive gowns the gentleman was middle-aged and stout with strongly marked features and a resolute straightforward expression the lady was the daughter of an irish peer the gentleman was a commoner whose fortune had been made in a great wholesale firm which had still its mammoth warehouses near st paul's churchyard and its manufactory at lyons but with which john Fawcett had no longer any connection he had taken his capital out of the business and had cleansed himself from the stain of commercial dealings before he married the honourable maude donfrey third daughter of the lord castleconnell miss donfrey had given herself very willingly to the commoner albeit he was her senior by more than twenty years and in her own deprecating description of him was quite out of her set she liked him not a little for his own sake and for the power his strong will exercised over her own weaker nature but she liked him still better for the sake of wealth which seemed unlimited she was nineteen at the time of her marriage and she had been married nine years those years had brought the honourable mrs fausset only one child the seven-year-old daughter playing about the room in the twilight and maternity had offered very little hindrance to the lady's pleasures as a woman of fashion she had been indulged to the uttermost by a fond and admiring husband and now for the first time in his life john fausset had occasion to ask his wife a favour which was not granted too readily it must be owned that the favour was not a small one involving nothing less than the adoption of an orphan girl in whose fate mr fausset was interested it is very dreadful sighed mrs fausset as if she was speaking of an earthquake we have been so happy alone together you and i and mildred yes dearest when we have been alone which you will admit has not been very often oh but visitors do not count they come and go they don't belong to us this dreadful girl will be one of us or she will expect to be i feel as if the golden circle of home life were going to be broken not broken maude only expanded Oh, but you can't expand it by letting in a stranger. Had the mother no people of her own, no surroundings whatever, nobody but you could be appealed to for this wretched girl? inquired Mrs. Fawcett, fanning herself wearily as she lolled back in her low chair. She wore a loose cream-coloured gown of softest silk and Indian embroidery, and there were diamond stars trembling amongst her feathery golden hair the flowing garment in which she had dined alone with her husband was to be changed presently for white satin and old mechlin lace in which she was to appear at three evening parties but in the meantime having for once in a way dined at home she considered her mode of life intensely domestic the seven-year-old daughter was roaming about with her doll sometimes in one drawing-room sometimes in another there were three opening into each other the innermost room half conservatory shadowy with palms and tropical ferns mildred was enjoying herself in the quiet way of children accustomed to play alone looking at the pretty things upon the various tables peering in at the old china figures in the cabinets the ridiculous chelsea shepherd and shepherdess the chelsea lady in hawking costume with a falcon upon her wrist the absurd lambs and more absurd foliage and the beau and battersea ladies and gentlemen with their blunt features and coarse complexions mildred was quite happy prowling about and looking at things in silent wonder turning over the leaves of illustrated books and lifting the lids of gold and enamelled boxes trying to find out the uses and meaning of things sometimes she came back to the front drawing-room and seated herself on a stool at her mother's feet solemnly listening to the conversation following it much more earnestly and comprehending it much better than either her father or mother would have supposed possible to stop up after nine o'clock was an unwonted joy for mildred who went to bed ordinarily at seven the privilege had been granted in honour of the rare occasion a tete-a-tete dinner in the height of the london season is there no one else who could take her repeated mrs fausset impatiently finding her husband slow to answer there is really no one else upon whom the poor child has any claim cannot she remain at school you could pay for her schooling of course i should not mind that this was generous in a lady who had brought her husband a nominal five thousand pounds and who spent his money as freely as if it had been water she cannot remain at school she is a kind of girl who cannot get on at school she needs home influences you mean that she is a horrid rebellious girl who has been expelled from a school and whom i am to take because nobody else will have her you are unjust and ungenerous maude the girl has not been expelled she is a girl of peculiar temper and very strong feelings and she is unhappy amidst the icy formalities of an unexceptional school perhaps had she been sent to some struggling schoolmistress in a small way of business she might have been happier at any rate she is not happy and as her people were friends of mine in the past i should like to make her girlhood happy and to see her well married if i can but are there not plenty of other people in the world who would do all you want if you paid them i am sure i should not grudge the money it is not a question of money the girl has money of her own she is an heiress then she is a ward in chancery i suppose no she is my ward i am her sole trustee and you really want to have her here in our own house and at the hook too i suppose always with us wherever we go that is what i want until she marries she will be twenty in five years and in all probability she will marry before she is twenty it is not a life-long sacrifice that i am asking from you maude and remember it is the first favour i have ever asked you let the little girl come mother pleaded mildred clambering on to her mother's knee she had been sitting with her head bent over her doll and her hair falling forward over her face like golden rain for the last ten minutes mrs fausset had no suspicion that the child had been listening and this sudden appeal was startling to the last degree wisdom has spoken from my darling's rosy lips said fausset coming over to the window and stooping to kiss his child my dear john you must know that your wish is a law to me replied his wife submitting all at once to the inevitable if you are really bent upon having your ward here she must come i am really bent upon it then let her come as soon as you like i will bring her to-morrow and i shall have some one to play with said mildred in her baby voice i shall give her my second best doll not your best mildred asked her father smiling at her mildred reflected for a few moments i'll wait and see what she is like she said and if she is very nice i will give her quite my best doll the one you brought me from paris father the one that walks and talks Maud Fawcett sighed and looked at the little watch dangling on her chatelaine a quarter to ten how awfully late for mildred to be up and it is time i dressed i hope you are coming with me john ring the bell please come mildred the child kissed her father with a hearty clinging kiss which meant a world of love and then she picked up her doll not the walking talking machine from paris but a friendly old-fashioned wax and brand personage and trotted out of the room hanging on to her mother's gown how sweet she is muttered the father looking after her fondly and what a happy home it has been i hope the coming of that other one won't make any difference chapter two mrs Fawcett's three parties the last of which was a very smart ball kept her away from home until the summer sun was rising above grosvenor square and the cocks were crowing in the mews behind upper parchment street having been so late in the morning mrs Fawcett ignored breakfast and only made her appearance in time for lunch when her husband came in from his ride he had escorted her to the first of her parties and had left her on the way to the second to go and finish his evening in the house which he found much more interesting than society they met at luncheon and talked of their previous night's experiences and of indifferent matters not a word about the expected presence which was soon to disturb their domestic calm mr fausset affected cheerfulness yet was evidently out of spirits he looked round the picturesque old oak dining-room wistfully He strolled into the inner room, with its dwarf bookcases, pictures and bronzes, its cozy corner behind a six-fold Indian screen, a century-old screen, bought at Christie's out of a famous collection. He surveyed this temple of domestic peace, and wondered within himself whether it would be quite as peaceful when a new presence was among them. Surely a girl of fourteen can make no difference, he argued, even if she has a peculiar temper. If she is inclined to be troublesome, she shall be made to keep herself to herself. Maud shall not be rendered unhappy by her he went out soon after lunch and came home again at afternoon tea-time in a hansom with a girl in a black frock a four-wheeler followed with a large trunk and two smaller boxes the splendid creatures in knee-breeches and powder who opened the door had been ordered to deny their mistress to everybody so mrs fausset was taking tea alone in her morning-room the morning-room occupied the whole front of the second floor A beautiful room with three windows, the centre a large bow jutting out over empty space. This bow window had been added when Mr. Fawcett married on a suggestion from his fiancee. It spoiled the external appearance of the house, but it made the room delightful. For furniture and decoration, there was everything pretty, novel, eccentric, and expensive that Maude Fawcett had ever been able to think of. She had only stopped her caprices and her purchases when the room would not hold another thing of beauty there was a confusion of form and colour but the general effect was charming and mrs Fawcett in a loose white muslin gown suited the room just as the room suited mrs Fawcett. she was sitting in the bow-window in a semicircle of flowers and amidst the noises of the west-end world waiting for her husband and the newcomer, nervous and apprehensive the scarlet japanese tea-table stood untouched the water bubbling in the quaint little bronze tea-kettle swinging between a pair of rampant dragons she started as the door opened but kept her seat she did not want to spoil the newcomer by an undue appearance of interest john fausset came into the room leading a pale girl dressed in black she was tall for her age and very thin and her small face had a pinched look which made the great black eyes look larger she was a peculiar-looking girl with an olive tint in her complexion which hinted at a lineage not altogether english she was badly dressed in the best materials and had a look of never having been much cared for since she was born. "This is Fay," said Mr. Fawcett trying to be cheerful. His wife held out her hand which the girl took coldly but not shyly. She had an air of being perfectly self-possessed. "Her name is Fay, is it? What a pretty name. By the by, you did not tell me her surname." "Did I not? Her name is Fawcett." she's a distant relation of my family i did not understand that last night said mrs fausset with a puzzled air you only talked of a friend was that so i should have said a family connection yes Fay and i are namesakes and kindred he patted the girl's shoulder caressingly and made her sit down by the little red table in front of the teacups and cakes and buns the buns reminded him of his daughter where is mildred she is at her music lesson but she will be here in a minute or two no doubt answered his wife poor little mite to have to begin lessons so soon the chubby little fingers struck down upon the cold hard keys the piano is so uninviting at seven years old such a world of labour for such a small effect if she could turn a barrel organ with a monkey on the top i'm sure she would like music ever so much better and after a year or two of grinding it it would dawn upon her that there was something wanting in that kind of music and then she would attack the piano of her own accord and its difficulties would not seem so hopelessly uninteresting are you fond of lessons Fay? i hate them answered the girl with vindictive emphasis and i suppose you hate books too said mrs fausset rather scornfully no i love books she looked about the spacious room curiously with admiring eyes people who came from very pretty rooms of their own were lost in admiration of mrs fausset's morning-room with its heterogeneous styles of art here Louis Says, there japanese italian on one side indian on the other what a dazzling effect then it must needs have upon this girl who had spent the last five years of her life amidst the barren surroundings of a suburban school what a pretty room she exclaimed at last don't you think my wife was made to live in pretty rooms asked fausset touching maude's delicate hand as it moved among the tea-things she is very pretty herself said fay bluntly yes and all things about her should be pretty this thing for instance as mildred came bounding into the room and clambered on her father's knee this is my daughter fay and your playfellow if you know how to play i'm afraid i don't for they always snubbed us for anything like play answered the stranger but mildred shall teach me if she will She had learnt the child's name from Mr. Fawcett during the drive from Streatham Common to Upper Parchment Street. Mildred stretched out her little hand to the girl in black with something of a patronising air. She had lived all her little life among bright colours and beautiful objects, in a kind of butterfly world. And she concluded that this pale girl in sombre raiment must needs be poor and unhappy. She looked her prettiest, smiling down at the stranger from her father's shoulder, where she hung fondly. She looked like a cherub in a picture by Rubens, red-lipped with eyes of azure, and flaxen hair just touched with gold, and a complexion of dazzling lily and carnation colours suffused with light. "'I mean to give you my very best doll,' she said. "'You, darling, how I shall adore you!' cried the strange girl impulsively, rising from her seat at the tea-table and clasping Mildred in her arms. "'That is as it should be,' said Fawcett, patting Fay's shoulder affectionately let there be a bond of love between you two and you will play with me and learn your lessons with me and sleep in my room asked mildred coaxingly no darling fay will have a room of her own said mrs Fawcett, replying to the last inquiry it is much nicer for girls to have rooms to themselves no it isn't answered mildred with a touch of petulance that was pretty in so lovely a child i want fay to sleep with me i want her to tell me stories every night you have mother to tell you stories mildred said mrs fausset already inclined to be jealous not very often mother goes to parties almost every night not at the hook love oh but at the hook there's always company why can't i have fay to tell me stories every night urged the child persistently i don't see why they should not be together Maud," said mr fausset always prone to indulge mildred's lightest whim it is better that fay should have a room of her own for a great many reasons replied his wife with a look of displeasure very well Maud, so be it he answered evidently desiring to conciliate her and which room is fay to have i have given her Bell's room mr fausset's countenance fell Bell's room a servant's room he repeated blankly it is very inconvenient for Bell, of course said mrs fausset she will have to put up with an extra bed in the housemaid's room and as she has always been used to a room of her own she made herself rather disagreeable about the change mr fausset was silent and seemed thoughtful mildred had pulled fay away from the table and led her to a distant window where a pair of virginian lovebirds were twittering in their gilded cage half hidden amidst the bank of feathery white spirea and yellow marguerites which filled the recess i should like to see the room said Fawcett presently when his wife had put down her teacup my dear john why should you trouble yourself about such a detail i want to do my duty to the girl if i can i think you might trust such a small matter to me or even to my housekeeper Maud fausset answered with an offended air however you are quite at liberty to make a personal inspection belle is very particular and any room she occupied is sure to be nice but you can judge for yourself the room is on the same floor as mildred's this last remark implied that to occupy any apartment on that floor must be a privilege but not with the same aspect isn't it no i suppose not the windows look the other way said mrs fausset innocently she was not an over-educated person she adored keats shelley and browning and talked about them learnedly in a way but she hardly knew the points of the compass she sauntered out of the room a picture of languid elegance in her flowing muslin gown there were flowers on the landing and a scarlet japanese screen to fence off the stairs that went downward and a blue and gold algerian curtain to hide the upward flight this second floor was mrs Fawcett's particular domain her bedroom and bathroom and dressing-room were all on this floor mr Fawcett lived there also but seemed to be there on sufferance she pulled aside the algerian curtain and they went up to the third story the two front rooms were mildred's bedroom and schoolroom the bedroom door was open revealing an airy room with two windows brightened by outside flower-boxes full of gaudy red geraniums and snow-white marguerites a gay-looking room with a pale blue paper and a blue-and-cream colour carpet a little brass bed with lace curtains for mildred an iron bed without curtains for mildred's maid the house was like many old london houses more spacious than it looked outside there were four or five small rooms at the back occupied by servants and it was one of those rooms a very small room looking into a mews which mr Fossett went to inspect it was not a delightful room there was an outside wall at right angles with the one window which shut off the glory of the westering sun there was a forest of chimney-pots by way of prospect there was not even a flower-box to redeem the dinginess of the outlook the furniture was neat and the room was spotlessly clean but as much might be said of a cell in portland prison a narrow iron bedstead A couple of cane chairs, a common mahogany chest of drawers in the window, and on the chest of drawers a white toilet cover and a small mahogany looking glass, a deal washstand, and a zinc bath. These are not luxurious surroundings, and Mr. Fawcett's countenance did not express approval. I'm sure it is quite as nice a room as she would have had at any boarding school, said his wife, answering that disapproving look. Perhaps, but I want her to feel as if she were not at school but at home she can have a prettier room at the hook i dare say though we are short of bedrooms even there if she is going to the hook with us why of course she is going to go with us she is to live with us till she marries mrs fausset sighed and looked profoundly melancholy i don't think we shall get her married very easily she said why not asked her husband quickly looking at her anxiously as he spoke she is so remarkably plain did she strike you so i think her rather pretty or at least interesting she has magnificent eyes so has an owl in an ivy bush exclaimed mrs fausset petulantly those great black eyes in that small pale face are positively repulsive however i don't want to depreciate her she is of your kith and kin and you are interested in her so we must do the best we can i only hope mildred will get on with her this conversation took place upon the stairs mr Fawcett was at the morning-room door by this time he opened it and saw his daughter in the sunlit window among the flowers with her arm around Fay's neck they have begun very well he said children are so capricious answered his wife chapter three a superior person mildred and her father's ward got on remarkably well perhaps a little too well to please mrs fausset who had been jealous of the newcomer and resentful of her intrusion from the outset mildred did not show herself capricious in her treatment of her playfellow the child had never had a young companion before and to her the advent of fay meant the beginning of a brighter life until fay came there had been no one but mother and mother spent the greater part of her life in visiting and receiving visits only the briefest intervals between a ceaseless round of gaieties could be afforded to mildred her mother doted on her or thought she did but she had allowed herself to be caught in the cogs of the great society wheel and she was obliged to go round with the wheel so far as brightly furnished rooms and an expensive morning governess ever so much too clever for the pupil's requirements and costly toys and pretty frocks and carriage drives could go mildred was a child in an earthly paradise but there are some children who yearn for something more than luxurious surroundings and fine clothes and mildred Fawcett was one of those she wanted a great deal of love she wanted love always not in brief snatches as her mother gave it hurried caresses given in the midst of dressing for a ball hasty kisses before stepping into her carriage to be whisked off to a garden party or in all the pomp and splendour of ostrich feathers diamonds and court-train before the solemn function of a drawing-room such passing glimpses of love were not enough for mildred She wanted warm affections interwoven with the fabric of her life. She wanted loving companionship from morning till night, and this she had from Fay. From the first moment of their clasping hands the two girls had loved each other. Each sorely in need of love, they had come together naturally, and with all the force of free undisciplined nature meeting and mingling like two rivers. John Fawcett saw their affection and was delighted. That loving union between the girl and the child seemed to solve all difficulties. Fay was no longer a stranger. She was a part of the family, merged in the golden circle of domestic love. Mrs. Fawcett looked on with jaundiced eye. If one could only believe it were genuine, she sighed. Genuine? Which of them do you suppose is pretending? Not Mildred, surely? Mildred? No, indeed. She is truth itself. Why do you suspect Fay of falsehood? my dear john i fear i only say i fear that your protege is sly she has a quiet self-contained air that i don't like in one so young i don't wonder she is self-contained you do so little to draw her out her attachment to mildred has an exaggerated air as if she wanted to curry favour with us by pretending to be fond of our child said mrs fausset ignoring her husband's remark why should she curry favour she's not here as a dependent though she is made to wear the look of one sometimes more than i like i have told you that her future is provided for and as for pretending to be fond of mildred she is the last girl to pretend affection she would have been better liked at school if she had been capable of pretending there is a wild undisciplined nature under that self-contained air you talk about there is a very bad temper if that is what you mean Bell has complained to me more than once on that subject i hope you have not set bell in authority over her exclaimed mr fausset hastily there must be some one to maintain order when miss colville is away that some should be you or i not bell bell is a conscientious person and she would make no improper use of authority she is a very disagreeable person that is all i know about her retorted mr fausset as he left the room he was dissatisfied with Fay's position in the house, yet hardly knew how to complain or what alteration to suggest. There were no positive wrongs to resent. Fay shared Mildred's studies and amusements. they had their meals together and took their airings together. When Mildred went down to the morning-room or the drawing-room, Fay generally went with her generally, not always. There were times when Bell looked in at the schoolroom door and beckoned Mildred, "Mamma wants you alone." she would whisper on the threshold and mildred ran off to be petted and paraded before some privileged visitor there were differences which fay felt keenly and inwardly resented she was allowed to sit aloof when the drawing-room was full of fine ladies upon mrs fausset's afternoon while mildred was brought into notice and talked about her little graces exhibited and expatiated upon or her childish tastes conciliated fay would sit looking at one of the art-books piled upon a side-table or turning over photographs and prints in a portfolio she never talked unless spoken to or did anything to put herself forward sometimes an officious visitor would notice her what a clever-looking girl who is she asked a prosperous dowager whose own daughters were all planted out in life happy wives and mothers and who could afford to interest herself in stray members of the human race she is a ward of my husband's miss fausset indeed a cousin i suppose hardly so near as that a distant connection mrs fausset's tone expressed a wish not to be bored by praise of the clever-looking girl people soon perceived that miss fausset was to be taken no more notice of than a piece of furniture she was there for some reason known to mr and mrs fausset but she was not there because she was wanted except by mildred everybody could see that mildred wanted her mildred would run to her as she sat apart and clamber on her knee and hang upon her and whisper and giggle with her and warm the statue into life mildred would carry her tea and cakes and make a loving fuss about her in spite of all the world belle was a power in the house in upper parchment street she was that kind of old servant who was as bad as a mother-in-law or even worse for your mother in law is a lady by breeding and education, and is in some wise governed by reason, while your trustworthy old servant is apt to be a creature of impulse influenced only by feeling. Bell was a woman of strong feelings, devotedly attached to Mrs. Fosset. Twenty-seven years ago, when Maud Donfrey was an infant, Martha Bell was the young wife of the head gardener at Castle Connell. The gardener and his wife lived at one of the lodges near the bank of the Shannon, and were altogether superior people for their class martha had been a lacemaker at limerick and was fairly educated patrick bell was less refined and had no ideas beyond his garden but he was honest sober and thoroughly respectable he seldom read the newspapers and had never heard of home rule or the three f's their first child died within three weeks of its birth and a wet nurse being wanted at the great house for lady castle connell's seventh baby mrs bell was chosen as altogether the best person for that confidential office she went to live at the great white house in the beautiful gardens near the river it was only a temporary separation she told patrick and patrick took courage at the thought that his wife would return to him as soon as lady castleconnell's daughter was weaned while in the meantime he was to enjoy the privilege of seeing her every sunday afternoon but somehow it happened that martha bell never went back to the commonly furnished little rooms in the lodge or to the coarse-handed husband martha bell was a woman of strong feelings she grieved passionately for her dead baby and she took the stranger's child reluctantly to her aching breast but babies have a way of getting themselves loved and one baby will creep into the place of another unawares before mrs bell had been at the great house three months she idolized her nursling by the time she had been there a year she felt that life would be unbearable without her foster-child fortunately for her she seemed as necessary to the child as the child was to her maude was delicate fragile lovely and evanescent of aspect lady castleconnell had lost two out of her brood partly she feared from carelessness in the nursery belle was devoted to her charge and belle was entreated to remain for a year or two at least belle consented to remain for a year she became accustomed to the comforts and refinements of a nobleman's house she hated the lodge and she cared very little for her husband it was a relief to her when patrick bell sickened of his desolate home and took it into his head to emigrate to canada where he had brothers and sisters settled already he and his wife parted in the friendliest spirit with some ideas of reunion years hence when the honourable maude should have outgrown the need of a nurse but the husband died in canada before the wife had made up her mind to join him there mrs bell lived at the great white house until Maud donfrey left castle connell as the bride of john Fawcett she went before her mistress to the house in upper parchment street and was there when the husband and wife arrived after their continental honeymoon from that hour she remained in possession at the hook surrey or at upper parchment street or at any temporary abode by sea or lake bell was always a power in mrs Fawcett's life ruling over the other servants dictating and fault-finding in a quiet respectful way discovering the weak side of everybody's character and getting to the bottom of everybody's history the servants hated her and bowed down before her mrs fausset was fond of her as part of her own childhood remembering that great love which had watched through all her infantine illnesses and delighted in all her childish joys yet even despite these fond associations there were times when Maud Fawcett thought that it would be a good thing if dear old Bell would accept a liberal pension and go and live in some rose and honeysuckle cottage among the summery meadows by the thames mrs Fawcett had only seen that riverside region in summer and she had hardly realized the stern fact of winter in that district she never thought of rheumatism in connection with one of those low white-walled cottages half hidden under overhanging thatched gables and curtained with woodbine and passion-flower rose and myrtle dear old Bell was forty-eight straight as a ramrod very thin with sharp features and eager grey eyes under bushy iron-grey brows she had thick iron-grey hair and she never wore a cap that was one of her privileges and a mark of demarcation between her and the other servants that and her afternoon gown of black silk or satin she had no specific duties in the house, but had something to say about everything. Mrs. Fawcett's French maid and Mildred's German maid were at one in their detestation of Bell, but both were eminently civil to that authority. From the hour of Fay's advent in Upper Parchment Street, Bell had set her face against her. In the first place, she had not been taken into Mr. and Mrs. Fawcett's confidence about the girl. She had not been consulted or appealed to in any way, and in the second place, she had been told that her bedroom would be wanted for the newcomer, and that she must henceforward share a room with one of the housemaids, an indignity which this superior person keenly felt. Nor did Fay do anything to conciliate this domestic power. Fay disliked Bell as heartily as Bell disliked Fay. She refused all offers of service from the confidential servant at the outset, and when Bell wanted to help in unpacking her boxes, perhaps with some idea of peering into those details of a girl's possessions which in themselves constitute a history fay declined her help curtly and shut the door in her face Bell had sounded her mistress but had obtained the scantiest information from that source a distant connection of mr fausset's his ward an heiress not one detail beyond this could Bell extract from her mistress who had never kept a secret from her evidently mrs fausset knew no more i must say ma'am that for an heiress the child has been sadly neglected said bell her underlinen was all at sixes and sevens till i took it in hand and she came to this house with her left boot worn down at heel her drawers are stuffed with clothes but many of them are out of repair and she is such a wilful young lady that she will hardly let me touch her things bell had a habit of emphasising personal pronouns that referred to herself "'You must do whatever you think proper about her clothes, whether she likes it or not,' answered Mrs. Fawcett, standing before her glass, and giving final touches to the feathery golden hair which her maid had arranged a few minutes before. "'If she wants new things, you can buy them for her from any of my tradespeople. Mr. Fawcett says she is to be looked after in every way. "'You had better not go to Bond Street for her underlinen. Oxford Street will do, and you need not go to Stephanie for her hats.' she is such a very plain girl that it would be absurd cruel even to dress her like mildred yes indeed it would ma'am assented bell and then she pursued musingly if it was a good school she was at all i can say is that the wardrobe woman was a very queer person to send any pupil away with her linen in such a neglected state and as for her education miss colvis says she is shockingly backward miss mildred knows more geography and more grammar than that great overgrown girl of fourteen mrs Fawcett sighed yes bell she has evidently been neglected but her education matters very little it is her disposition i am anxious about ah uh, ma'am and so am i sighed bell when bell had withdrawn Maud Fawcett sat in front of her dressing-table in a reverie she forgot to put on her bonnet or to ring for her maid, though she had been told the carriage was waiting, and although she was due at a musical recital in ten minutes. She sat there, lost in thought, while the horses jingled their bits impatiently in the street below. Yes, there is a mystery, she said to herself. Everybody sees it, even Bell. End of chapters 1, 2, and 3